everybody, and welcome back to Teen Titans Wasteland. I'm Hub, and today's my birthday. So the other day, I overheard somebody ordering a piece of pepperoni pizza by saying, Hey, can I get a slice of that roni? That's the kind of shit you can't unhear. <sighs> I'm gonna be okay, but it was tough. It actually gave me some flashbacks to the time when I was bartending, and somebody ordered a shot of tech. And it took me a while to figure out that they wanted a shot of tequila and decided that a good way to order that was to order a shot of tech. My first reaction was, of course, shock and horror. And then I wanted to know if they were trying to order future drugs from me. And I was like, hey, first of all, that shit's illegal. And second of all, that shit doesn't exist yet. It's a harrowing experience, but you know what? I'm, I'm gonna make it. Th- I'm gonna make it through this okay. <sighs> all right, calm myself down and think about the Teen Titans. Everything's gonna be fine. We got some really good synopsis songs in the last week. I really appreciate you guys sending those in. Today's is submitted by Brad. Gaze into a pit, stare at the abyss. Wait, don't do that. Here's a synopsis. Synopsis. And that's from Brad Reed. Thank you, Brad. Teen Titans, number 33. June, 1971. Less Than Human? Written by Bob Haney. Drotted by George Tusca. With inks by Nick Cardi. Teen Titan Roll Call. Lilith. Speedy. Mal. Kid Flash. Wonder Girl. Robin. And introducing... Gnark. Previously in Teen Titans. Due to a malfunction of a time machine created by Mr. Jupiter, the richest and therefore most trustworthy man in the world, Mal gets sent back into caveman times. Kid Flash borrows his uncle's time treadmill, which is totally a thing, to rescue his chronologically displaced companion. But in the course of the rescue, the two pals accidentally murder a teenage caveman. Whoopsie. When the time-traveling twosome attempts to return to the 70s, they find themselves in an alternate timeline filled with wizards and dragons and shit. Zowie. Turns out killing that prehistoric teenager had some pretty significant consequences. The teens head toward the nearest castle, where Mal makes use of his background in urban pole vaulting to cross the moat. Once inside, the pals meet alternate medieval versions of Mr. Jupiter, the Justice League, Speedy, and Lilith, all of whom seem like real assholes. Jupiter, who in this reality is a saucer named Jupiterius, offers to send our heroes back in time to unmurder the cave teen if they are able to pass his tests. They already passed the first test by pole vaulting. Wally passes the second test by defeating the alternate universe version of Speedy in an archery contest, by shooting an arrow into a keyhole, then causing it to turn counterclockwise and open a door. Zounds! How did the junior Wizard of Wiz pull off such an amazing archery act? And what further trials await our displaced duo? Stay tuned to find out. So, how did Wally pull off that arrow stunt? Um, look, he just did, okay? Turns out Super Speed is the DC version of magnetic powers in the Marvel Universe. It can do whatever the story calls for. For the next trial, Mal is forced to confront the skeletal ghost of the cave teen he and Wally dropped off that cliff. Mal is super freaked out by the apparition and can't figure out why. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just the skeletal ghost of a caveman he and his buddy murdered. He soon figures out that the alternate timeline Lilith, who goes by the objectively awesome name Cerebella, is using her psychic powers to put a whammy on him. What a jerk! Mal steals medieval Superman's helmet and jams it on his head to block Cerebella's influence. Because mind control can't go through metal. That's why tinfoil hats are so important. 
Once he is properly shielded, Mal ain't afraid of no ghost and moves to attack the Paleolithic poltergeist, but it immediately disappears. By overcoming his terror, Mal has passed the final test. Hooray! Jupiterius grudgingly agrees to help send the Titans back in time to right that which once went wrong and unkill the cave teen, which is pretty swell of old Jupiterius, seeing as it will presumably erase his entire reality. He takes the two teens out to the time well he has in his backyard and gives them a couple of time crystals. At his instruction, Mal and Wally pop a couple of the crystals into their mouths and are told that their trip back to the Paleolithic Age will last until the time crystals finish dissolving. After that, hopefully, their next leap will be the leap home. The temporally displaced teens instantly find themselves back in the Stone Age, once again locked in combat with the angry cave teen. This time, they manage to subdue the rampaging troglodyte without dropping him off a cliff. Hooray! Satisfied with a job well done, the Titanic twosome allow their magic crystals to melt and are transported back to Mr. Jupiter's lab in their version of the 70s. Home sweet home. But who's that shouting Gnark and trying to strangle Mal? Oh no! Looks like that irascible cave teen hitched a ride back to the 70s with them. And for some reason that didn't disrupt the time stream the way his premature death did, because... I don't know, super speed? Magnets? Anyway, Speedy bonks the Stone Age stowaway on the noggin with a wrench and knocks him out. After Mal and Wally fill their teammates in on their time-hopping shenanigans, Mr. Jupiter tells them that he's taking away the keys to their time machine, and they are now responsible for educating the young Neanderthal and integrating him into 1970s American society. They decide to name him Gnark after his popular catchphrase. Wally sends out a call for help. Is it to Garn, the other teenage caveman they know whose name also begins with a G and has had to adjust to life in the 20th century? Of course not. What use would he be? They need the one titan arrogant enough to believe he can teach a crash course on the last 13,000 years of human progress to a caveman. That's right. Robin's back. The boy wonder has a week off from college and figures that's about how long it should take to pull a full My Fair Lady on young Ganark. Yeah, about a week. That sounds right. The first step is obviously going to be a makeover. So they shoot Ganark with a tranquilizer dart, shave him down, give him a beetle's haircut, and shove him in a turtleneck. When the ape-like anachronism awakens, he is somewhat less than pleased with the sartorial decisions that were made on his behalf, and he throws a tantrum. Fortunately, Lilith is able to use her psychic powers to communicate telepathically with Gnark and calm him down. Due to the combination of Lilith's ESP and Robin's condescension, Gnark's education progresses swiftly, and before long, the Titans figure he's ready for a field trip into the city. Well, turns out the Titans figured wrong. Gnark sees a train and freaks the fuck out, running off into the night. The teens spend hours searching for their recently hirsute companion, but to no avail. Finally, Lilith taps into her psychic bond with the young caveman and finds him curled up in an alley, crying, overwhelmed by our modern times. I know the feeling, Gnark. I know the feeling. Back at the robo-skyscraper, Lilith does a bit more mental probing and finds that during his panicked freakout, Gnark witnessed a sinister transaction. It turns out that a prominent city councilman is actually a crime boss who goes by the intimidating codename, Santa Claus. Yeah. Gnark saw an exchange of cash and paperwork and heard both Santa and his underling saying a bunch of words that certainly sounded crime-related. The Titans want Gnark to testify against the corrupt councilman, but as Gnark's primary means of communication is still monosyllabic grunts and exclamations of his own name, they're not sure he'd be a credible witness. I mean, 
maybe a presidential candidate, but not a credible witness. The teens really channel their inner Henry Higginses, and over the course of the next two weeks, do their best to transform Gnark into a proper British lady, er, witness for the prosecution. The Titans take their case to the DA, and the trial date is set. When the sinister Santa Claus sends his little helpers to try to kill Gnark, Lilith gets spooked and drives Gnark out of the city in her van. Good thinking, Lilith. A van out in the woods is much safer than an isolated skyscraper surrounded by robotic security and super-powered teens. Well done. Just as things are getting pretty cozy out in Lilith's van, with the incest burning, and Gnark is telepathically professing his love for Lilith, the two are attacked by Santa's goons. Oh, shit. When Lilith is injured, Gnark goes berserk and beats the shit out of the goons. Hooray! He's about to kill one of them when the Titans show up, and Robin tells the enraged Neanderthal that killing is bad. Gnark puts the thug down, and everyone is super proud of him. Turns out they were able to track him down because Mr. Jupiter surgically implanted a tracking device in him while he was asleep. Well, that's not creepy. Also, why didn't they use that when he ran away the first time? The next day, Gnark does a great job testifying, and Santa Claus is sentenced to a long prison term. Hooray! Oh, and it turns out Lilith is okay. It was just a minor gunshot wound. And I think her and Gnark start dating. Hooray! And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing very, very well. Uh, due in part to the birthday whiskey you brought over to me. Thank uh-huh. you, sir. Uh, you're entirely welcome. Well, thanks anyway. Nope. And to listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, what did you think about the issue? Well, I guess first and foremost, I'd like to... Oh, I'm sorry, Corey, I don't mean to cut you off, but damn, there was some picket signs in this shit. You know, and I I, <laughs> I saw it coming, literally and figuratively. Not only picket signs, but the Titans holding up signs with their own names on yeah. them to educate our new friend. Gnark, who I keep wanting to call Garn. I can see why. Yeah. yeah. Not the first time we've seen a... Uh... A teenage caveman having to deal with adjusting to the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of weird that... They don't hit on the fact that that's happened before. Mm -hmm. My suspicion is, at this point during comic books, they were very specifically written for a fairly narrow demographic. More so at DC than at Marvel. But the old wisdom used to be, you got kids reading comics for four years. So if it happened more than two or three years ago, it didn't happen. Sure. Because totally different readership, whole thing turns over. But come on, man. Their names sound alike. And also, so at this point, we've met three bestial teenagers. Gar, Garn, and Gnark. Gah. Yeah. It's a little bit of a stretch to include Beast Boy in that, but he's usually an ape. And I think there was, like, some missing link component in his backstory. (laughs) So, yeah, we jump into the story. We're in the weird alternate timeline that Gnark's death instigated. Yep. Where we got Jupiterius. Yep. I thought we were going to find out how Kid Flash did that trick. Didn't explain it. Nope. Just used his super speed somehow to do that. Mm-hmm. That's some bullshit, man. Yeah. Yeah. We get the fact that metal can cancel out any psychic powers. Any metal? Or is it only if you get the metal from the Duke of Galaxies helmet? <laughs> I think that's some straight tinfoil hat shit. I mean, because Mal presumably wouldn't know what special properties which helmet had. Mm-hmm. 
Unless he's just like, I bet people are always trying to psychically fuck with Superman. Uh, There's a reason he's wearing that special hat. That really pissed off True Shaft or True Shot. <laughs> that pissed off Batman. And True Shot is speedy. Uh, he is the Thane of Bows, I believe. The guy with the warthog hat? Yeah. 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 When he, he was like, this is cause for an execution. Oh, it's he He begged to let loose his killing shaft. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That's, yeah. But it is it is kind of funny to me that, like, cross companies, it's kind of a trope that, oh, if you wear a metal helmet, then people can't psychically take over your brain. Because that's Magneto's deal in mm. the Marvel universe. Professor X can't take over his brain because he's got that metal hat on. Yep. So, guys, seriously, wear those fucking tinfoil hats. The government's trying to take over your mind. Yep. you got to stop them. It's like a Faraday cage. Yeah, yeah. Don't let them see your information. Yeah, man. What's a Faraday cage? I should know that. So, it uh, basically take a, a... I don't know. You don't know what a Faraday cage is. You take... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read this recently. I, I think it's basically... Uh, you run, it's either mag- magnetic energy or just regular electricity through a uh, metal structure, and that makes Oh, it and so. that's those things that you can stand in front of and let, like, if you're in a car and it gets struck by lightning, it'll be okay? No, it's, it prevents the, uh, um, I don't know, I'm gonna need to look that up. I don't wanna, I don't wanna spin a yarn. Oh, but man. But it, uh, it'll keep people from, uh, spying on your shit. Oh! Electronically. Oh! So, like, a tinfoil hat that works. <laughs> You mean a tinfoil hat? Because a tinfoil hat's a tinfoil hat that works. With some juice. Oh, I thought you just meant worked in a fashion sense. Because damn, those tinfoil hats look good. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Pretty much do anything you want with them. Oh, man. Every outfit. One of the things I really like about the olden times that they find themselves in, or I guess they're the now times, but the different now times, Mm -hmm. the names that Haney comes up with, like... The Thane of Bows and, like, the Duke of Galaxies. Mm-hmm. And the alternate Teen Titans name. Cerebella's a pretty badass name for Lilith. I'm, I kind of wish she would just use that. And we already talked about the fact that I think True Shot's a way better name for Speedy than Speedy is. Mm-hmm. kind of wish those would just carry over. Yeah, the names were good, but uh, they were so... They were such jerks. Oh, no, they were dicks. Although I will say, when they get back to regular times, Speedy's just as big a dick. Mm. Speedy's a dick. He's kind of a dick, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this might be while he's on heroin. I don't know. He doesn't excuse it, though. Doesn't excuse it. No. No. So, Jupiter gives them magic crystals that they put on their tongues, and then as it dissolves, it sends them back in time. Do you think that was an acid metaphor? It really seemed like it to me. I don't know if I was reaching, but that was... I actually wrote that down. I was like... I wrote a note that said, did uh, Wally and Mal just drop acid? It really seems like they did. And uh, just a little bit of backstory on Bob Haney. He did live in Woodstock, New York, at the time of Woodstock. Oh, so I'm just saying that may have been his impression of youth culture at the time. It's entirely possible. Um, he might have done research, even. Yeah, he may have researched it. 
this issue kind of reads like he was researching it. <laughs> kind of a lot. It goes in so many different directions. And it changes which characters we're focusing on. And we're barely touching the surface of this shit so far, even. And that scene where um, Lilith and uh, Gnark are sitting in her <laughs> pad or her van or Her whatever. van. And yeah, like, she's got the incense lit. Yeah. And she's reading her palm. And there's, like, psychedelic posters. That totally looks like they were sitting down to, like, have a well, ceremony to... It looks like they're in the mystery machine, too. I think Scooby-Doo was on at this point. It totally looked like the mystery machine. Yeah. In fact, I was so bummed when it got shot up. Oh, was, God, it was such a sweet van. Yeah, man, it was so sweet. <laughs> well, but come on, man. Why would you leave the Robo Skyscraper if you want to keep Gnark safe? I don't have a good explanation for I think that. it's because she's part witch. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I just thought that at one point, <laughs> one of the Teen Titans says, You know she's half witch. Mm-hmm. And just, like, t- tosses it as an aside. It's like, that's never really been brought up before. That's a weird way to introduce that concept. Yeah, and it's also not a hereditary, I wouldn't I think so. I, I understood that it was, uh, Wiccan was a very respected religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing against it. Yeah, and they used to brew beer. Well, that's the important thing. <laughs> it's where the broom came from. What? <laughs> so... <laughs> What? Some people say that, so, <laughs> in medieval times, uh-huh. uh, some of the healers were uh, were women that also um, were responsible for, for basically brewing beer, uh-huh. and the thing that they used to, to stir the beer was sort of like this big paddle thing that they used to uh, hang out in front of their, their shops, right? But yeah. But then as Christianity started to take over, um, they were like, you know, and all, they did- all that stuff's bad. We hate beer. We we don't we don't like people healing things, and so um, then it got turned into like oh they're they're witches and they fly on brooms. So wait, but it was a paddle, not a broom. Yeah, but because it was a paddle, you say people say this. Yeah, are these people not you? <laughs> are there other people than you that say this? I might be like uh, <laughs> what do you call it? paraphrasing, <laughs> or maybe remembering not correctly. Yeah, maybe it is though. I. I, I would like that story to be true. Yeah, I don't know if it is now it that sounds, I now that it's coming out. It my sounds mouth. like a little bit of a stretch. We're gonna have to look that <laughs> up in the fact check. But either way, which is invented beer. Nice work, Lilith and your people. Oh man, we're gonna, I'm gonna have to do a postscript for this for the Faraday cage. <laughs> <laughs> the, the witches brewing beer. The nope. prop, there's gonna be a couple others too. I think we're just gonna keep barreling through. It's the birthday. I'm gonna talking. assume that it's the case. All right. So, then we get to my first big issue with the issue. What? As it were. (laughs) They go back in time. Have an issue with They don't kill Gnark, which Uh is pretty nice of them. Mm -hmm. The crystals finish melting in their mouth. (laughs) And so they zip back to Jupiter's time, and Gnark comes with them. Mm -hmm. So Gnark is removed from the time stream Mm -hmm. at the same point that he had been removed from it by his death. But everything in the 70s is the way that it was when they left. Yep. I have a possible explanation. Do you? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll go with mine, I guess. <laughs> Here, I'm angling for whatever the DC equivalent of a 40 years late no prize is. It wasn't Gnark's death that caused the disruption of the time stream. But Gnark either fell hard enough onto the ground that it opened up a fissure... That exposed a rare element that at that time changed everything. Or 
Gnark fell on a more important caveman and killed him. (laughs) (laughs) And so that this time, it was not by killing him, but by him falling, or not falling off of the cliff and killing that other caveman, Mm -hmm. our times three misery story. I respect what you're trying to do there. (laughs) Yeah. But... It makes sense. Um... No, I mean, the idea that removing Ganark from the time stream results in the 1970s that has dragons and shit doesn't right. make any sense. Okay, I understand that, but if you go with the fact that it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a stretch. How do you get from caveman times to castles and dragons and magic times? Okay, maybe like... Back then, there was, like, one wizard. And Gnark fell on the one wizard? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying in before. The proto-wizard. No, because it was the other way around. If Gnark didn't fall off the cliff, there are no wizards. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, what I'm saying is maybe the caveman that Gnark fell on was the guy who killed all the wizards. Okay. It's a stretch, but I'll take it. Yeah. So, that's what happened. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. No problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Then they get back, and Mr. Jupiter's a real dick about shit. What, just because he won't send Gnark back in time? Well, partly. Also, he sounds like he, he acts like that's his decision to make. He's like, well, without the, I don't have the time machine anymore, so there's no way to do that. Like, dude, your time machine isn't how Wally got back there. He acts like the time treadmill wasn't even a thing. That's true. Do his you... rever- he revert his, his default setting is assuming that he invented shit that he didn't invent. He's very rich, Hub. I know. He's a very wealthy man. Um, and therefore trustworthy. Did you also take umbrage at the fact... He takes of... a very scolding tone initially. He's like, all right, what did you guys do? You got a caveman here. Yeah, I thought that's one thing, too, that I thought was funny, where he kind of spins it where, like, he fucked up, basically, yeah. as the reason for this whole thing happening. But then when Gennart comes back, he's like, all right... Uh, we got to put him in a cage. And now, Titans, it is your greatest challenge to civilize this caveman. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's going to help them be better crime fighters or... Yeah, it help their development as people. And it was all part of his plan. Well, that was kind of the crux of the issue, right? Which was, it, it culminates in this statement of, you know, basically you can you can judge the moral character of a set of people by the way that they treat their enemies rather than... How, how, they, they, how they treat their friends. Right. Which so is I nice. So it was rather noble. <laughs> yeah, Mr. way to go, Mr. J. Kind of took a dickish route to it, but, you know, his heart was in the right place, I guess. I guess. Um, I liked to... And this is just kind of a running trope. I want to go back and count how many people have been knocked out by being hit on the head with a wrench. At least and, two that I can think of. Probably more. I, I, I'm sure there's more, but, like, I'm thinking of a few off the top of my head. Um, yeah, Speedy just brains Gnark over the head with a wrench. And after that, too, he's like, oh, shit, did I kill him? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, he's still breathing. It's cool. Which should be something that gets asked anytime anybody gets hit in the head with a wrench. Because those things are heavy. Yeah, you could totally kill somebody with a... It's like, it wasn't a small wrench. It was like one of the giant... Yeah, it was one of those giant, like, cartoon wrenches. Yeah. What do you think of the relationship between Lilith and Gnark? Because it seems like they're kind of hooking up a little bit. Um... Yeah, it seemed a little a little weird, but I I don't know. I I thought it was nice of her to kind of take him under her wing, as it were. That's the thing that makes it creepy for me. She was acting like his mom, mm-hmm. and other people brought it up. Mm-hmm. 
And then it seems like they're kind of dating at the end of the issue. And that, that that's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, they've been raising him and trying to educate him. And then she's like, hey, you're pretty good looking. Yeah. That was one of the things that struck me as creepy. One of the other things that struck me as creepy is Mr. J just dropping a fucking tracker under Gnark's skin while he's unconscious and not telling him about it. Yep. That stood out to me as kind of a, a rich guy dick move. Yeah. I wonder if he has him in the other Titans, too. Do you think he does? If he does, he doesn't doesn't keep him up at night, I can tell you that much. Yeah, man, nothing keeps that guy up at night. Sleeps like a baby. Yeah, unless he drinks coffee after seven. Yeah, I don't know. The, the relationship certainly was, in some respects, maternal with Gnark, but the aspects in which they were raising him were on, you know, sort of morals and uh and and cultural norms she it is wasn't also there is a scene where she is feeding, feeding him, him ice cream, cream with like a, a spoon yeah. like do it like here comes the airplane uh, <laughs> yeah that's there's no way around how yeah it's is. creepy it is creepy i do love that scene and also the other thing that makes it clear the fact that they are to raise him mm-hmm. and he is their responsibility now when Robin first shows up again... The, the sign on the blackboard. There's a few... Th- there. Okay, there are two different signs on the blackboard that crack me up that are in different stages of them attempting to educate Gnark, um, who I really keep wanting to call Garn. But even before that, when Robin first shows up and tosses his college sweater aside, uh, which it took me a while to figure out what was going on with that, I think it's Lilith is reading a book by Dr. Spock. It's. I was under the impression that Robin brought them a stack of parenting books. I think they were reading those when Robin showed up. Oh, okay. And was just like, no, 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 fuck that shit. We're going to use my science stuff. Oh, okay. We're going to go full on subliminal messages. You don't need that Dr. Spock touchy-feely stuff. Ah, oh, man. When I was a kid, I cracked my parents up because I used to Mix call... up Mr. and Doctor. Yeah. I did the same thing. Did you? I bet that was common in the... 80s? 70s. Maybe. I don't know. Was Dr. Spock still a thing in the 80s, or were our parents just weird? I mean, definitely our parents were weird. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the blackboards. Okay. So. No notes. <laughs> yeah, when Robin first shows up, he writes on a blackboard. I guess it's going to be the curriculum, although he then also does the most Robin thing, and most specifically the Robin written by Haney thing, which is to just say a bunch of science words that don't really make sense. Right. And treat that as, now I have authority. So he shows up and he says, okay, team, our baby's 17 years old. According to biocorrelates from this computer printout, it's like, well, can't argue with that. Yeah, it's words and it's from a computer. Sounds science-y. Yep. Then he writes on, I think this is the curriculum they're going to be using. Trust, basic conditioning, communication, learning behavior, rules, no-nos. Here's the other thing. He misuses an apostrophe. (laughs) Unless there is something that Lilith's head is covering up on that blackboard that says, and no-no is a friend of them, theirs, who owns certain things. It is no-no and then apostrophe S. Mm, The grocer's apostrophe I'm not familiar with that phrase. What's the grocer's apostrophe? Just an unnecessary apostrophe? Yeah, it's like when people think that in order to make a word correctly plural, it needs an apostrophe before the S. Is that specifically something that grocers do a lot? I don't know the etymology of the 
the phrase. Huh. I, just, I just heard it called that before. Interesting. Sounds kind of classist. Like apples. No, yeah. <laughs> apples. Get, get your appleses. <laughs> oh, I love appleses. At my store. <laughs> Some good appleses. <laughs> <laughs> the other blackboard, which is by far my favorite blackboard, <laughs> is in my running for favorite panel because of what is on the blackboard, is when they're trying to further educate Ganark and do the full... The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain, mm. so that he can testify in court. Little thin Robinar, in front of a backboard that says, My name is John Ganark. I live at Jupiter Labs. That cracked me up. The fact that they think they, they're like, we'll call him John Ganark. That's more respectable. Mm-hmm. But they're not trying to disguise the fact that he is a caveman from the Paleolithic era. They tell the district attorney and the newspapers that fact. Ape boy. Oh, it's the unfortunate uh, moniker. Lilith does not care for that. Yeah. Man, they well, they could have done a little bit of a better job with his PR. I mean, you can't yeah. really blame the press of the 70s for calling him Ape Boy if they said I guess he's if actually a... Mr. Jupiter could hire a pretty decent press agent, you'd think, if he wasn't... He could buy the freaking <laughs> newspaper. Yeah. Oh, maybe, yeah. Pull a he... full Citizen Kane on that yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, how'd you like Garn's makeover? He made a, a pretty handsome, uh, what was the word for, like, the guys that dress like that with the Beatles, like, kind of bold Like a haircut? mod? Yeah, like a mod, like, kind of a mod. He's not full mod. But yeah, I, I can he's see that. he got the turtleneck and the tight pants and the... Yeah, but he's wearing pants. sandals. I don't think mods would wear sandals. I think they'd wear they'd fine Italian find shoes. shoes that would fit uh, that dude's feet, man. His caveman ways. He got his caveman feet. <laughs> I like he was wearing a nice wide tie at the end, too, when he's in court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh man, that last panel when he's like walking all happy down the street with, with Lola. Yeah. yeah, it's just charming. Just out of court, he did a yeah. great job testifying. He looks so happy. Yeah, really fun issue. I, I, it was so weird, and it took so many turns. It took me forever to write the synopsis because just different shit kept happening. It was like there were four different stories, mm-hmm. just kind of one after the other. But I really liked it. I, I thought it was really fun. You could say like it was a. Uh... A pie. But not one made out of steel, because no. I would not like a pie that was made out of steel. Right. So, a pie made out of, like, I don't know, pie? Yeah. Yeah. Pecans. It was like a pie made out of pie. Mm. I liked it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, so do you want to get into the specifics? Let's. All right. What was your favorite panel? This this one had a clear front runner for me, which okay. is maybe the first time that this has ever happened. Wow, and so you've it, just got the one. Oh, there are so many. Good okay. Ones. Do you want to build up but, to it? Do you have any others that you want to talk about, or just your? Let, let's just get your one. Yeah. What so is it? My favorite one is it's the scene in which uh, Mal has deftly swiped Super uh, the Superman Duke Sanders, of Galaxies the Duke of Galaxies helmet, and the look on the Duke of Galaxies <laughs> face is maybe the funniest thing I've seen drawn in, in any of these comics. He he looks he's. Sitting back in his seat, and he looks utterly shocked and kind of horrified <laughs> at what has just happened. The entire pseudo-Justice League is horrified at this, but none of them do shit about it. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, it just it struck me as incredibly funny. Okay, I we're reversing roles because I had a lot of trouble choosing. Definitely in the running was the picket signs one, where it's all of the Titans just, I don't know what kind of education... <laughs> 
it was that they were specifically trying to do where they're all just carrying picket signs that have their own names on them around. They're trying to teach a Gnark. Um, yeah, Gnark. Gnark. Their names. Okay. My suspicion is Robin already had a picket sign that just had his name on it. And he is constantly just out there advocating for Robin. He, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, this will help teach Garn. You guys, or Gnark, you guys make them too. Mm-hmm. Another one, as I mentioned, the the blackboard that says John Gnark on it was really, really good. I, I really enjoyed that. And on that same page, there's one where Gnark is uh, coloring in a picture of a puppy dog that I thought oh was really cute. That was cute. The one where Lilith is feeding or Gnark ice cream. Yeah, that was on my uh, my your short list. My short list. Also, and the the other one that I want to bring up, I, I am ultimately, I have to make a decision, so I am going to go with John Gnark. <laughs> I think even above the picket signs one. I live in Jupiter Tower. Like, sound out how you think that he first read that. What did he sound like? <laughs> I picture it using a voice of him trying super hard to sound like a straight laced guy. So I'm going like Eddie Murphy trying to sound like a white person, <laughs> and just like. My name is John Gnark. I live at Jupiter Tower. And him just sounding it out phonetically because Robin keeps saying that that way for him to repeat. The other panel that I, I really, really liked, it's on page 14, and it's when he runs away and is crying in the alley. Oh, I know. That, it was, I felt so it was bad really well done. Yeah, there, and there's another one where he just looks horrified at something. I think it's after that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's after they tried to kill him with a bomb mm-hmm. and the van. And he's just like, oh! Super freaked out. Yeah. This is a harsh reality for John Gnark. It's tough, man. Like... People are trying to kill him. He doesn't know what cars are. He tries to punch a car. I mean, he succeeds in punching a car. He's he beats the shit out of a car. Yeah. He goes full Blanca on that shit from Street Fighter 2 and yeah. just wrecks it. Yeah. Um, I guess not Blanca because he's not using his electrical power and just crouching down next to it, which is the way you need to defeat the car in that level of Blanca. It's more Zagnif, I guess. Uh, which one is that? This is the big Russian dude with the, the Russian dude. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. pounding it. Okay. You know how, like, turn of the century, there's that the motion picture show of a train arriving at a station and everybody freaked out and ran out of the place because they're just like, ah, the train will surely kill us all because we don't know what movies are. Um, You don't know that? That sounds plausible. Oh, it was a thing that happened. Okay. But like, it's got to be 10 times that because A, he doesn't know what movies are, but he also doesn't know what an actual train is. And he sees an actual train for the first time. Yeah. Terrifying. Sure. Terrifying. Poor, poor Ganark. Poor Ganark. Poor Ganark. At least he's getting some. I, I don't know if that's really going to happen. He's hanging out with a chick and lighting incense and in a van. I don't know. He I tells think, her that I she lo- he loves her and then they're holding hands. I think. It's, it's I think. Lilith is it. Okay. Because what about that, Mal? Look, I wanted things to happen with Mal and Lilith. You know that I did. It just seems like she's not going to move on that fast. If there is anything I need to move on from. kind of think she's with Gnark now. Like, I think that they have a bond because the whole psychic, like, he couldn't speak and she helped him out. And he professed his love for her, which is more than has happened between any other Titans at any point. Like, when Speedy and Wonder Girl are kind of hooking up, never, certainly never went that far. If she does tell him, no, you mustn't think such things, Mm -hmm. which is weird because he's like, dude, I'll think what I want. You're not the thought police, Lilith. It's a weird way to communicate. I would hate that. Oh, man. 
Man, no. would I do a bad job. Yeah, no. Uh, no telepathy, please. That That's my words. That would not be the worst. For the future. Oh please, God. I would hate telepathy so much. Please. I don't want anybody inside my brain. It's terrible in there. I barely want to be in there. I can talk okay for the most part, but man. Yeah. That's... Things leading up to that. Are yeah, the things messy. that get filtered out between thinking and talking, that filter's there for a reason. Yeah. But, moving on to favorite dialogue, one of the reasons I believe that they may be an item is some of my favorite dialogue. There were a lot to choose from in this. Indeed. It is, Haney is coming back at it full bore. When the ladies are giving... Gnark his makeover. Mm-hmm. After they cut his hair, the first thing Lilith says is, Cute, he's beautiful. Like some sleeping young god awaiting for the awakening of a new age, his own age of Aquarius. And then she drives him in a van out to the woods and lights incense with him and reads his palm. I You make a pretty good case. I'm just saying. I, think, I forgot about that bit of dialogue. Yeah. He's like a young god waiting for his own age of Aquarius, and she can help usher him into that age. What did you have for favorite dialogue? Because that isn't actually my favorite. It's just amongst my favorite. It's pretty good. I like the part where they're kind of going around with um, accepting the the mission that that Mr. Jupiter has has given them. (laughs) Is it Mal's response? Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, you have to educate this, this caveman, and he says, crazy, but maybe there's kicks in it. Real kicks. Yeah, I had that down too. Another one that I had is also dialogue by Mal. It's after Robin is being typically Robin, like, not understanding human emotions. Gnark's been crying in an alley because he's so freaked out by human society. Mm -hmm. This is also the panel where Lilith is saying, here comes the airplane with ice cream to him. Yeah, he looks super, like, cavey. Yeah. So Robin is delighted to hear that he was curled up in the fetal position crying and says, Tears, eh, Lilith? A good sign. His fixation on you as a mother figure, plus such human emotions, show he's developing. God, you're a dick, Robin. And Mal's response to that is to say, Man, you sound like the medical shrinks who could explain everything about the ghetto. Except why. Deep, man. Zing. Really uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think that might be my favorite dialogue. Just, it very much typifies this as being of an era. And the the, the other one that, you, did you have more? I got I got another one. Okay, what you got? And and it's actually from page one. I think it's Jupiter. No, who is saying it? It is Jupiterius. Shoot, varlet and scarlet hose. Shoot, and do thy best to better true shot shaft. It reminded me of that Robin Hood on book on tape. Oh, God, that, that was... <laughs> Go and cut a cudgel to test <laughs> thy manhood. Yeah. By this and by that, my head hummeth like a hive of bees on a hot June day. <laughs> oh, man. We used to have this this radio adventure of Robin Hood that we both listened to a lot as a kid. And th- those are quotes from it. And, and you're welcome. Yeah. When Robin first shows up, they're all very surprised to see him. Lilith says, what gives, boy wonder? The college chicks don't dig your line any longer? Mm. Zing. Zing. Yeah, man, great dialogue. So, who was your favorite type? 
I feel a little weird saying this after the discussion that we just had, but I think uh, Lilith, because of her compassion with... When they first make their psychic connection, he's got her in this, like, gnarly chokehold after he freaks out and punches a mirror, and he's basically starting to choke her when he's in this cage, and then she, like, has that mind meld thing, and like, like, oh, he's freaked out, so I should be nice to him. and And no, and she really does bring him along and is a very good educator for him before it gets all to sir with love and kind of creepy yeah it takes a turn for the for the weird for sure but i overall i thought you know good good on her because she's also been sort of one of the more and i hesitate to use the word enigmatic characters no she definitely has been and yeah yeah and she still is and i think a part of that is that her powers are so inconsistent in how they're treated and how reliable they may or may not be mm-hmm. and which ways they can be used and yeah they've kept her being kind of aloof in general, my choice is uh, Gnark. <laughs> He's not a titan. Isn't he? Uh... I, I Honestly, I, I spoiler alert, he joins the titans. He's a teen titan now. Are you serious? Yeah, for the rest of the Bob Haney run, he's one of the teen titans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They let a, a Cro-Mag in, but not... Where the fuck is Aqualad? Hmm. What's up with that? Where is Aqualad indeed? Which brings us to our next segment. Oh, shit. What do you think Aqualad's probably up to? Yeah, this is a tough one. My guess, which which I don't think is quite right, is this is this takes place in the summer of nineteen seventy one. Yes. Okay. So so this was at the time where it went all the way up to the su- Supreme Court, where Muhammad Ali's case for for draft dodging was overturned. Oh. And, and so the reason for that was they basically couldn't prove why they had denied him a conscientious objector status. Mm-hmm. And um, out of all the justices, Thurgood Marshall was the only one that didn't vote. And so they say that the reason he uh, recused himself from the trial was because he was involved in in previous versions of it. Okay. But I don't know. What's the real reason, Corey? Well, I like to think Aqualad was a huge fan of what Muhammad Ali was able to accomplish without his sea-strengthened limbs. I I would think everyone is a huge fan of Muhammad Ali and his non-sea-strengthened limbs. It goes without saying. But, and, uh, you know, Aqualad's probably a little bored not being off on all of his Titan adventures. Mm. Maybe not. But, uh, you know, he's following the news and he sees these things happening and he's uh, found some way to uh, convince uh, Justice Marshall to uh, take a fishing trip. <laughs> and okay. the child's going down. Interesting. He makes him an offer he can't refuse. Oh, he puts a horse head in his bed? A seahorse head? Oh, is that where that comes from? The Godfather, yeah. An offer you can't <laughs> refuse? Come- That's, that was a good movie. That was a good movie? <laughs> that was some creepy You really shit. didn't that know that line came from that movie? I, I've i seen it a few times, but I, yeah, I kind of forgot. Ah. Uh. Well, that's and, a really and, and how, what's a, what's he really up to? Because that well, was a that is that me. is not in fact what he was really up to. I like I liked where you were going with it, but actually, you know, want to know where Aqualad probably is? I would be delighted to hear where Aqualad probably is. France. You know what he's doing in France? Uh, what is he doing in France? Pretending he's seen lots of bicycles before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because if there's one thing he's good at doing, it's pretending (laughs) he knows what's going on. Yep. So he has heard that there's the Tour de France, and he (laughs) wants to be a young, hip-with-it kid. So he's like, oh yeah, I've seen lots of bicycles. 
I'm going to go check out this Tour de France because, uh, yeah, I love bicycles. Mm-hmm. There's tons of them in Atlantis. So he goes there. He brings Beaky with him, of course. Of course. Because he knows that it's a, it's a very long race. Something he's going to need regular water. Mm-hmm. So he's checking out the bike race. He's like, oh, it's been about 45 minutes. He makes a sign, hangs it around Beaky's neck, and says, water, please. And sends Beaky out. Beaky's in France. He pulls up a place. and uh, Signs in English? Signs in English. Okay. French people can read it, but they're like, water? We don't have any water. Oh, I see where this is going. They fill his beak with wine. Right. They bring it back to Aqualad. Now, Aqualad's like, well, I don't normally drink, but (laughs) any liquid will help sustain me at this point. Right. So, Aqualad gets fucked up. Oh, shit. And while he's fucked up and he's in France, he sees this big chubby dude with a beard coming at him. And he's like... That fucking Ding Dong Daddy Dowd? That's Ding <laughs> Dong Daddy Dowd! And he starts fucking throwing haymakers. Oh my god. And this freaks out this dude who is not Ding Dong Daddy Seems Dowd. highly unlikely. No. It's Jim Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Morrison's being an asshole. Because He's Jim Morrison... Drunk too. Spoiler alert. Asshole. But he gets so freaked out by Aqualad throwing haymakers that... He's a, he's also he's on a fair amount of drugs right now, and he is super fucked up. Mm-hmm. He has a heart attack. Oh, Aqualad is responsible. For Aqualad, that. Jim Morrison. Yes, and thank you, Aqualad. Um, <laughs> Aqualad finds this guy who is not Ding Dong Daddy Dowd. He's like, oh shit! I hope this guy's okay. He probably needs water, so he finds picks him up, puts him in a bathtub. <laughs> Fills the bathtub up. And a few days later, they find Jim Morrison dead in his bathtub. Aqualad doesn't remember any of this shit. Oh, thank goodness. Which is a good thing. That would damage his sensitive It would hurt his psyche. But that, for good or ill, it was good, is what Aqualad was probably up to. Damn. That's some heavy shit. Yeah. It's really heavy <laughs> shit. You needed every ounce of strength in those C-strengthened legs to pick up that not ding-dong daddy dad and put him in that bathtub. Oh, really, you know where a lot of the blame on this lies. Beaky. Why? He could have just gone to the ocean. Oh. Come on, Beaky, get with it. Ah, but anyway, that is what Aqualad is probably up to. This has been really fun. Got a couple of really nice emails from a bunch of people this week. But a couple of them directly affect this issue and the era of Teen Titans issues that we're going into going forward. So the first one that I want to bring up is Edward, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, and I'm sorry for that, Edward, Heimel, who wrote to inform me that the last issue, issue 32, Mm. that was Steve Skeet's last issue, Mm -hmm. halfway through the writing chores were taken over by Bob Haney. That explains a few things. It explains a heck of a lot. It really read like a Bob Haney issue. At least the dialogue certainly did mm-hmm. from about halfway through on. I, I went through and was trying to to figure out where, and I was like, okay, bottom of page 14. From here on, that was the one where it was like the Flash first says, you got to hit that right on the old TikTok. Uh, I'm yeah. like, that has a really Haney cadence to mm-hmm. it. And the other thing that uh, Edward brought up was something that I'd certainly noticed but hadn't really speculated on the reasoning behind. The covers from this point forward and from really the last issue going forward 
have a really different feel to them, and they, they have almost like classic horror vibe going on. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, there's a lot more in terms of monsters and magic and mm -hmm. shit like that happening. Not necessarily as much in the issues, although some in the issues, but mm -hmm. definitely on the covers. And the reason behind that is that the comics code was being loosened a bit at this point. Mm. This was around the time of the... Green Arrow, Green Lantern things where they're like, okay, I guess you can address some drug use. Mm. And the other thing that had previously been totally verboten in comic books around this time was elements of the supernatural were banned. Really? Yeah. That was part of the, the deal. Like, you couldn't have vampires or witches or and supernatural things. Up until werewolves. the 70s? Yeah, well, from the 50s through the 70s, from the time when the comic code was instituted due to the Frederick Wortham trials and shit. There weren't trials, there were Senate hearings, and there was no actual persecution. It was a self-censorship that the comic book companies imposed on themselves mm. um, and really handcuffed themselves. But at this point, it started to relax a little bit, the, the comics code control. Uh, you see there's a little stamp in the corner of the comic book. That meant that it had met... Mm. The guidelines of this self-imposed board saying, okay, this can go in a comic book and this can't. Mm. At that point, that started to be loosened. And the when Edward wrote me, he, he quoted what the softening of the comic code entailed, which was, Vampires, ghouls, and werewolves shall be permitted to be used when handled in the classic tradition, such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high-caliber literary works written by Edgar Allan Poe, Saki, Conan Doyle, and other respected authors whose works are read in schools around the world. Yeah, and until this book kind of finishes up its little run, they're going to keep throwing those on the cover just because, hey, we can, and maybe that'll bring in some readers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of interesting. I also really like that in that language they included Saki as one of those readers because I'm a big fan of H.H. Uh, mm. Monroe's work. The other... Well, one of the other. I also got some really nice synopsis rhymes, which I'm totally using. But one of the other emails that I got was from, and again, I'm probably going to mispronounce the name, and I apologize, Tony Ulibari, who, A, sent me an, another synopsis, Ryan, which I'm going to use in a future episode, because, man, I hate writing those things. Thanks for sending them in. Keep them coming, guys. But Tony mentioned, just in passing, that his favorite episode so far was uh, issue 26, which was the introduction of Mal Duncan. Mm -hmm. And I agree. That is definitely one of my favorite issues, and possibly my favorite issue so far. But... There is some really cool shit happening right now in this comic book, and it ties into both Haney taking back over the issue, mm -hmm. editorial changes, and these are the first Teen Titans comics of this era that I started reading. Part of what makes them, I think, so good is, and good, man, I'm using it loosely, but so much fun, Yeah, is the fact that this is the third wave of editors that have taken over the book, or editor. For the very early issues, we had, uh, like, one through early teens, I think 13 or 14. There was a guy named George Cashton, who was the editor. And he had a certain direction he was going. The stories were all written by Bob Haney. Really goofy. A lot of, like, swinging teen slang and shit like that. But really goofy, kind of kid-centric issues. Teens dealing with their parents, stuff like that. Then there's a little bit of a break, and that, that's when there was an editorial change. Dick Giordano took over as editor. Mm -hmm. There was some shakeups going at DC. They had basically bought out most of the talent from Charleston Comics at the time, and Steve Skeets was actually part of that. But they brought in 
a bunch of different writers. It was uh, Marv Wolfman did an issue, which was eh. And then Neil Adams had his weird shit that happened. And then Robert Koeniger took over. And there was definitely a turn towards, okay, we're going to be more serious. We're going to go for a slightly older demographic. Mm -hmm. We're going to deal with more serious issues. You had the teens wearing their jumpsuits because the costumes are for kids, shit like that, I think. And now we're entering the third era of that, which is you've got another editor took over, Murray Boltonoff. He brings back Bob Haney, but instead of him going back to the old type of stories he was doing, it's a weird fusion of, oh, okay, you guys brought in this stuff and brought it in this direction, so we're going to deal with social issues, but we're going to do it with wacky-ass teen slang and just zany-ass adventures. And the fusion of those things is part of what I love about Browns Age comics in general, and definitely what I love about this series, and these stories are just fucking great. Agreed. We've gotten, as I said, we've gotten some really nice emails from you people. If you would like to contact us, please do so. Uh, ttwasteland at gmail.com or check out the Tumblr page, ttwasteland.tumblr.com and look us up on Facebook. I also want to mention, I feel a little bit weird doing this. I've had a couple of people write in and say that they would like to donate money. And gosh, I really appreciate that. That is very nice. But we didn't have an infrastructure for it. It's very nice of you guys to want to contribute and to want to feel like part of the community. And you can do that by either just writing me a letter or uh, my wife, Lisa, set up a Patreon account for the thing. So if you would like to donate, the address for that is www.patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. You obviously don't have to. Uh, I appreciate you guys just listening to it. We've tried to set up a couple of different rewards and if you have rewards that you would like in exchange for donating please let me know what they are and i'll i'll try to make it happen we are going back and forth on whether or not we are going to continue with the new teen titans and that is we have set that up as one of the reward levels i'm not definitely not holding the show ransom or anything like that (laughs) uh but i i will say it definitely would be a much easier decision I, i work between writing and editing and recording the show it's probably about six or seven hours a week that i put into it and it would definitely be easier to continue making the time and to know that I can devote this time to doing it if I had a little money, because I like money. And Corey takes the time to drive on over here every week and drink all my whiskey and read a comic book and... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing. But... Uh, we, we really appreciate it. And, and like I said, you absolutely don't have to donate. I know the times are, are, are hard for everybody, but if you listen to the show every week, uh, and you, you'd like to give something back to it, we, that would be nice. I feel really awkward saying this. I'm definitely not going to say this every week, but if you would like to donate and you would like to suggest some rewards, some of the things that I have thought of are, we can definitely do some bonus episodes, maybe do, I, I can do some super cuts of the synopses and put those together as their own episodes to help people catch up. We can do some extra mini episodes of what Aqualad is probably up to. Please don't ask for that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank, thanks again so much. And yeah, I'll stop feeling crass about this tomorrow, maybe. Enjoy, enjoy. Gnark! Gnarkus, everyone. Peace and farewell. (laughs) And they knew it.
it's a grounded metal screen. Um, go. Uh, grounded. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> a Faraday cage is a grounded metal screen that surrounds a, a piece of equipment uh, to keep out the electrostatic and electromagnetic influences. It protects your shit. Okay. And as near as I can tell, you made up that shit about witches brewing things. <laughs> Pretty much from the phrase, witches brew. Oh, did I? I think so. <laughs> That's a shame. 